Welcome to the Cell Intel podcast, where we explore how single cell and spatial analysis methods are being adopted and are accelerating discoveries in life science research. Today, our episode is talking about a resolution part two, how the data gets crunched. I'm Melissa Randall. I'm here with Neil Weingarten and also Daphne Cooper. Welcome, Daphne. Thank you. Happy Uh, to be here. Nice to have you, Daphne. So in my role as an FAS, I used to work with Daphne, and she recently transitioned into the role of an STA. Daphne, would you like to describe for us the difference there and what those acronyms mean? (laughs) So an STA stands for Science and Technology Advisor, and the Science and Technology Advisor is kind of part of that team, the sales representative and the field application scientist. So they work together to help support you with your 10x experiment. And the Science and Technology Advisor is probably somebody that you'll interact with when you're getting started with your project planning. You'll have discussions about like your project scope and whether or not the experimental goals can be addressed by 10x solutions, so a lot of feasibility discussions. The SDA can also point you to resources to help get you prepared for your 10x experiments. And then once you're getting ready to start with your experiments, the field application scientist, so the FAS, is going to make sure that you understand the workflow, that you know what you're doing before you get started, is also going to maybe evaluate your sample preparation. It's very common that users will send in images of their single cell suspensions or single nuclei suspensions for evaluation by the field application scientist. And then the field application scientist is also going to make sure that you understand how to get going with your data analysis. And after you run the data analysis, the the field application scientist can also check over some of your metrics. And so there is a bit of overlap between the STA and the FAS, but if you email it in a question to any of us, we will always make sure you get what you need. And I think when it comes down to it, you're just supported from the start of your experiment all the way to the the end of your experiment. So the way I see it, we're all a team. We're going to hand off and rely on each other's expertise through the process. Neil, how do you lean on your STA? Yeah, as Daphne was saying, as we get more and more customers, I have to spend quite a bit of time helping and troubleshooting once the customers come up and going. And the STA is able to spend a lot of time in in working with with a customer that's considering bringing in the technology and explaining to them what the solution can do, maybe even more importantly, what it cannot do so that they have realistic expectations. And then myself as an FAS, I'll come in afterwards and help to make sure that the customer uses it properly, go through that user guide, get them, you know, comfortable with the protocol and then help with troubleshooting if necessary. I think it's really two very important uh, roles to, uh, you know, make sure that we have successful customers. And it used to be a time where as an FAS, I was doing a lot of that kind of what we might call pre-sales. But as we become more and more successful and we have more and more customers, I'm spending more time making sure the customer's using the technique properly. And my STA colleagues can come in and talk a little bit more about what solution might be right for the particular question. And I enjoy working together with my STA colleagues in, in that regard. Wonderful. Shifting gears here, during this episode, we want to really be delving into data and how we go about bioinformatics, how we process and interpret single cell and spatial data sets. 
And 10X has a lot of easily accessible tools for this. All of our pipelines are freely available to anyone at any time. We also have really nice, easy to use visualization software. So we're gonna be introducing you to some of these tools that you have access to. Know that we also have example data sets that are available to anyone at any time. So if you wanna play around with these, you're welcome to do even when you're in the experimental planning stages. Now, Daphne, we have this new offering, which is really exciting, which is cloud analysis. Do you wanna introduce that to us? Yeah, cloud analysis is something where, you know, it helps enable you to do that initial cell ranger analysis. So it lowers that barrier and you can basically upload your data onto the 10x cloud. So your FastQ data and run cell ranger on that data set. And currently, as of recording this podcast, it is enabled for single cell three prime gene expression, as well as five prime gene expression with VDJ. Um, along with feature barcode for cell surface protein, CRISPR, and antigen specificity. And then you can also do some agar on there as well. But if you are doing Cell Ranger Arc or something along those lines, I would encourage you to check out the timeline that they have on the website as to when they have the anticipated launches of those different analysis pipelines on cloud. And just for some terminology for everybody who's new, Cell Ranger is the bulk of our data analysis package. It's the pipeline that's going to be converting your BCL files to FASTQ files, then doing read level analysis on a single cell basis and producing output files you can use for quality control metric assessment, visualization files, and things that you can feed into other types of downstream analysis as well. And I'm going to now punt over to Neil to have him describe Loop Browser, our visualization software. One of my favorite tools, I used to be a 10X customer before I joined 10X, and I helped run a core, as I mentioned in the last podcast, and we would see a lot of data coming through, and I'm not a bioinformatician, and I'm not adverse to getting in and working in command line, but it's really not my forte, and so I used to love the fact that 10X had this very easy and accessible tool called Loop Browser that allowed me to take one of the end files after it was processed through Cell Ranger and just start to explore the data. And it's completely graphical. It ran on my Mac. It also ran on my Windows machine because I can never decide which one I like better. And I was just able to take these files start looking at clusters of cells, start doing differential gene expression analyses with it. And it was just really accessible for me as somebody that didn't want to get into R. But at the same time, we were we had the ability to look at that data first, then go out to those tools and even bring that data back into Loop again to start doing that analysis. I think I told you know a little anecdote last time on the podcast of Customers literally running around with the loop browser open saying, look at this data. They were so excited. And it was just something that made it really, it enabled the end user, the biologist who was not an informatician to start looking at the data, querying questions, looking for their genes of interest and seeing where they were expressed. Loop browser works with all of our single cell applications as well as our spatial applications, which is one of the things that I love. We have an additional browser specifically for VDJ, for T-cell clonotypes and B-cell clonotypes, but most of it happens in that main loop browser. And it's just, it's always getting better, new tools being added in, but it really is something that's uh, very accessible. 
I think we have interesting perspectives here because Neil comes from less of a bioinformatics background. I consider myself to be somewhat middle of the road. I've done a small amount of scripting, small amount of work in R. I have actually run Cell Ranger from command line, played around with some of these pipelines. I found them pretty easy to use relative to other data analysis packages. And then Daphne, I would consider to be a bit more proficient in the bioinformatics realm. Daphne, from your level of experience, can you talk about some of the advanced features that we can do in this easy-to-use visualization software? We've actually had some new features recently added to Loop Browser, and so one of them is the filtering and reclustering um, feature with Loop Browser. And so if you're familiar with the Loop Browser interface, you can take the whole subset of cells, or you could take a subset of cells of interest, and then you just click this little recluster button, and it will open up a module. And so then you can filter out barcodes that have mitochondrial gene expression, for example. And then you can also play with some of the analysis parameters as well. And for example, if you wanted to get rid of dead and dying cells, you could go through that filtering workflow. Or if you just wanted to focus in on T cells, for example, let's see, say you had a PBMC data set, you could select out your T cells and then put them through additional analyses and redo that secondary analysis. And then it will generate a new little loop plot for you or T-SNE plot for you. And everybody wants to know what's better, T-SNE or UMAP these days? I will let Neil answer that because I feel like, <laughs> I think it's personal preference. It really is personal preference. It's just, it's two different ways of taking this highly multi-dimensional data and projecting it into two dimensions typically, although we can actually generate 3D UMAPs and T-SNEs as well if you want. You can't visualize them in loop yet, but we can generate the, the coordinates for that. Really, it just slightly different philosophies in how you use up that 2D space. And the truth of the matter is that the differences between the two just come down to how you implement each of the algorithms as well. And the differences are most stark in their default configurations. But as you start tweaking some of the parameters under the hood, they start looking a little bit more like each other. But really, the way that I look at it in a very basic way is that this T-SNE projection, what it's trying to do is it's trying to maximize the, the real estate that you give it, the minimize the amount of white space on the page and use all of that room to show you the clusters of cells. Whereas UMAP is really trying to accentuate the differences between clusters and it separates them out further from each other, even if that means having more white space available on the page, but just preserving that that disparity between clusters, for example, or similarity between clusters for that matter. And so it's just different philosophies as to how you go about visualizing that. For people who are naive to T-SNE or UMAP, I will provide terms here. These are ways of looking at single cell data where each individual data point is gonna be an individual cell. And if they're spaced closer together in T-SNE or UMAP space, that indicates that they have more similar gene expression profiles. If they're farther away, they're more different. And if we start grouping these cells into clusters, which would be populations of cells that are more similar to each other than to the other cells in the data set, those clusters tend to represent different subpopulations within our overall sample. So we can start to char characterize those maybe as different cell types and other interesting things might be happening there with our trends. Uh, There's always been the debate about TISNE versus TSNE versus uh, TSNE. And uh, I actually, a little bit of the original 
TSNE implementation was actually done by Dr. Jeffrey Hinton at the University of Toronto, just right down from where I am. So I actually tweeted him one time to ask him what was pronounced, but he didn't answer me back. Dr. Hinton, if you are listening to this podcast, we'd love to know. TSNE or TSNE? Absolutely. Thanks for that call out, Neil. I'd like to turn it back to Daphne a little bit to talk about one of our other assays that I find to be absolutely fascinating these days, which is multiome for single cell gene expression and single cell attack from the exact same cells. Daphne, how do we visualize these multiome data sets? The Cell Ranger ARC pipeline is what's going to analyze that data. So you'll feed it the attack FASTQ files and then the, the single cell gene expression FASTQ files, and it will run through the algorithm. And it generates a separate projection for the attack data as well as the single cell gene expression data. And so, of course, the attack data is going to be based off of that differential or variable open chromatin regions. And then, of course, the single cell data is more going to be based off of the variable genes. But then you can use those together. And Neil is really great with this because <laughs> one of the new features with Loop, of course, is that you can open up this additional window. So you can have your attack projection sitting in this window, and then you can have your gene expression window over here. Neil, do you want to talk about Oh, yeah. That? Power users, it's not just one extra window. I can have many extra windows. I'll <laughs> pop out I'll pop out the attack UMAP and the, the attack TSNE, and I'll pop out the gene expression UMAP and have the gene expression TSNE in the main window. But it's great because you can watch all this and they're all, they're all linked and they're all synced together. So if you highlight a cell in the gene expression plot, it'll show you where it's living in the attack plot, for example. And this is really an interesting way to see sometimes, for example, as Daphne will have a, a cell type like T cells, for example, that may at the gene expression level kind of cluster together. But at the attack level, they're actually quite separate clusters. And so it's yeah. really interesting to be able to watch this with both of them live at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the cool things about having the dual window thing. And you bring up a good point because the T cells on the gene expression level, especially those naive T cells, oftentimes you can't really separate out the CD8 T cells from the CD4 T cells. And then you'll see them separating out on the attack profiles. So it's really cool. And of course, the additional advantage is able to is, is being able to see the um, significant linkages between the gene expression and these regulatory sequences that get detected in the attack data. Great. So we talked about a few different ways that people can go about this data analysis, whether they're on the cloud, whether they're familiar with command line. What about service providers for bioinformatics? Neil, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Back when I was running the core, we had a, a wonderful relationship with, with an additional bioinformatics core that kind of maintained and, and held a lot of the high performance computing. So they really had access to all of this kind of big iron to run things. And of course, this is back before we had 10x cloud. We used to go through these service providers, but I had this wonderful other group that I was able to work with that would help pipeline the data, but even take it further and help with some of these more advanced tools, some of the great third-party tools that are out there that customers have access to. And, you know, that, again, that can be very enabling because they can, they understand kind of some of the statistical questions to ask. They understand because they've looked at a lot of different data sets, what's the most appropriate way to normalize two data sets, to bring these things together, to be able to analyze all of these things. So you have multiple samples, multiple time points and conditions, and they understand how to bring all of these things together. And the cases I've seen where it's been most 
successful is when they've created a relationship with the end user and it's an iterative process. Because the bioinformatics core understands the, the algorithms, but they don't necessarily know the specific biology. And so the end user is the domain expert, the bioinformatics core is the expert in the processing. And so they'll start with kind of some default view and then the biologist will come in and say, oh, but I'd love to see it from this relationship. And they'll go back and massage it again and do a new type of comparison and analysis. And a few meetings and all of a sudden this story starts to emerge. And, and that's what's really exciting to see. I really enjoy seeing people develop these collaborative efforts, and I see at a lot of my sites using 10x technologies, there are bioinformatics cores or bioinformatics people associated with the genomics core that are going to help people out with these types of analyses for their first runs or maybe ongoing. So we talked a little bit about third-party software for extensibility and analysis of these data sets, and I want to touch on that just briefly. Daphne, what tools do you see people commonly using for these types of data sets? Yeah, so there are a lot of single-cell tools out there, and I guess the, the thing about third-party tools, of course, is that because 10x didn't develop them, we can't really support them or endorse them or those sorts of things. But there are certainly a lot of third-party tools available for your analysis. And one curated list that's maintained, for example, on GitHub is called Awesome Single Cell, if you want to see all of the different tools that are out there. But a very commonly used third-party tool is Surat, of course. It's an R toolkit developed by Rahul Satija's lab at New York Genome Center and can take that count matrix that's generated from Cell Ranger. So that's one of the great things about Cell Ranger is that a lot of the output files are directly compatible with a lot of the th these third-party tools. And the Satisha Lab actually just recently released Surat v4. And in Surat v4, they have this weighted nearest neighbor statistical pipeline for integrating in different data types. So if you have single cell gene expression data and you want to integrate it with attack data, or gene expression data with the cell surface protein data, for example. And the other really cool thing, and I think Neil also knows about this, is azimuth. And so, of course, they generated this very it's PBMC immune cell atlas, where they used hundreds of thousands of human PBMCs, and they'd been stained with a panel, a large panel of antibodies. And they've made this available on this web app called azimuth, where you can take your count data that you've generated from PBMCs, and you can just map it onto their atlas that they have developed. It'll do this reference-based alignment. It's really nice. You can download it as well as all of the plots. And then it will give the predicted cell type identity for your different barcodes in the data set. Great. Yeah, that's one thing that people ask for out of the box is, how do I tell, is this a T cell? Is this a B cell? What kind of markers should I associate with each? And we don't always have the answers for that. Yeah, We see people working with such a wide variety of sample types, we can't really be experts in all of these model systems. So mm -hmm. it's nice that there is some sort of reference for that. On the Azimuth website, it looks like they've deposited some other um, data sets on there as well, or atlases. But I guess another thing that a lot of users typically want to understand is cell type trajectories. And so if you're studying development or different cell states in response to a treatment, you can run like a pseudotime trajectory analysis and that's another really a very popular pipeline for that, of course, is Monocle. So again, something that would be compatible with the output of Cell Ranger. 
Sounds great. Now, stepping back a little bit, what if I just generated my first single cell data set and I'm hitting some stumbling blocks? I'm not sure where to go. I'm having trouble interpreting my data. I don't know how it's looking as far as quality control metrics. Neil, where would you want that person to go for help as a first pass? The very first place that I would go is, again, more support website support.10xgenomics.com. And for any of the applications that you're interested in, if you click on it, you'll see we get all out from sample prep all the way down to data analysis. And, and if you click on the software tab, you'll see that there's actually demos for how to use Loop and how to use Cell Ranger and, and these sorts of things. That's a really good first you know starting point. The FAS will help you if they have time. I do that quite a bit. I'm happy to do that when I can. Often I'll do it more for an institution so that we can talk about how to get started with something like Loop and so I can show all my pop-out windows and stuff like that that I like to use. That's the first two places I would go. And then the next one is the tool that Daphne already talked about, Surat. Their website has these wonderful vignettes that walk you through just a gene expression analysis, an attack analysis, a spatial analysis, and then one of these integrated analyses. And yeah. I've got to I've got to say that group's done a wonderful job. Those vignettes are really easy to follow, and it, it just walks you through how exactly to process all of that data. And they even provide some example data sets so that you can try it and and see how it's going. You have any Absolutely. favorites, Daphne? I, you mean just in terms of vignettes? On or the, just places to go for how to get started. If you want to go into third-party tool world, I love taking a look at some of those archived single-cell courses that are sometimes just, there's a, what is it? The Harvard Chan Bioinformatics Core? Yeah. In terms of good resources, of course, I reiterate what Neil says. I think checking out our website is stop one. And we have a lot of really great 10 expert talks on the website that go through data analysis, I check out our tutorials. But if you want to see what's out there, I sometimes find myself looking through some of those archived single cell courses that are available online. And so the Harvard Chan Bioinformatics Corps has their single cell course that's available. And so sometimes I'll go and check out you know, some of the methods that they're using. So one of the things, for example, is like regressing out cell cycle effects in the data. But also, I just love looking at those Surat vignettes as well. And so I'm currently working through the, the spatial vignette using one of our 10x data sets of mouse brain. But yeah, a lot of really great resources are out there. And 10x support can be reached at support at 10xgenomics.com. We do have a special software support team with all of our bioinformatics gurus ready to help out if you experience any of these things. Now, for new users who are planning to use the cloud, I just want to reiterate how easy this interface is. It's really like a software interface where you don't need to really have any understanding of command line, any experience with Unix environments. You're able to just basically go to a web portal and leverage 10x servers for the analysis of your data. So I definitely want to direct our new users over to the 10x cloud analysis platform. Yeah, one of the things that I love about what we're doing with the 10x Cloud platform is that, again, it's enabling for the end user because they can go in, they can look at the data, and then they can say, oh, I would have loved to have compared these two or these three. And then they can go back in and say, please do what we call an agger, short for aggregate, and put those three together and take a look at it or maybe drop that one back out. 
they can, you know, take advantage of reanalyze to go in there and change some of the parameters and the way that, that things are being done. And they don't have to necessarily keep going back to the people that were running it on the cluster and saying, can you rerun it again? Can yeah. you rerun it again? It just allows you to do all of that until you're happy and then pull down all of those files. And again, it'll have that loop file that goes into our loop browser as well as all those other matrices and, and stuff like that to go into third-party tools. I really think that, again, this is just enabling the end user to to process all of this and then work with their bioinformatics colleagues more on the analyzing and mining the data rather than just processing the data. Absolutely. And just as a teaser, we do plan to have a member of the 10X cloud team who developed this cloud platform on with us in a future episode. You know what that music means? It's time for Little Gems. In keeping with the theme of this episode, we want to let you know about a couple of free software solutions to help you get familiar with the data analysis step of your single cell or spatial biology project. Getting comfortable with these tools up front will help you with experimental design. You can overlay data on the same cells from multiple experimental modes to see the transcriptomic state paired with the epigenomic state, immune cell clonotypes, or cell surface protein expression. You can download Loop Browser, watch tutorials, and practice with datasets by going to www.10xgenomics.com forward slash products forward slash loop, that's L-O-U-P-E dash browser. Another solution, cloud analysis, is currently available in the U.S. and will be available in other countries in 2022. Whole transcriptome and multimodal analysis takes a lot of computing power. Rather than wait for your own computer or your bioinformatics group to process your data, you can start visualizing your results right away with our intuitive web-based platform. Check it out and download at www.10xgenomics.com forward slash products forward slash cloud dash analysis. But for now, I'd like to thank our guest, Daphne Cooper, Science and Technology Advisor at 10X Genomics. We really hope you've enjoyed these first two episodes. You can find more episodes of Cell Intel Podcast at 10xgenomics.com forward slash cell dash intel. Subscribe if you want to be notified about new episodes, have the opportunity to give some feedback, or participate in polling questions or trivia contests for a chance to win a goodie and have your name, institution, and research area mentioned on the air. If you liked our podcast, your friends probably will too, so let them know about us. Thank you for listening and keep seeking out the possibilities. Mm-hmm.